Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tell Us What's in the Box. What's in the Box? Uh, Arizona desert town with five teenagers in it. And nobody else. And nobody else. This was my pick. Um, this is a very vivid memory I have of being a preteen. And uh, this is Whisper of Death by christopher pike um you know christopher pike was uh you know he wrote a lot of stuff back in the 90s and uh just about the time i was a preteen so um yeah i have fun memories of these books i have a collection of these books and this was my pick that we should do this for the podcast so this is not a new book for me but this is new for joanna oh yes because when it came out in 91 i was four years old all right enough (laughs) and that we don't I was too young to be reading this stuff, but my dad thought it was okay for me to play Leisure Suit Larry. So, what? Oh, yeah. He would let me like sit on his lap and like watch him play it, but like specific parts. But then there was one time where he actually let me play the game. And I just repeatedly sent Larry down an alleyway and he got the shit kicked out of him by dudes with baseball bats. And then he like went through this little like resurrection. machine and then you started all over in front in front of the lounge all right yes. then <laughs> <laughs> that's not well okay. that's a whole different Leisure topic there <laughs> yeah all right okay yeah that's another topic um yeah so i picked this book so if joanna hates it which i don't know i loved it um, i loved she it can, she can oh you I did loved it okay. it was really good <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say she can blame me because i have very vivid memories of this book so uh let's talk about this book um see the thing about christopher pike that i want to warn everybody right now if you're not my age or had never read Christopher Pike before. Um, there were kind of like two camps. You kind of had the R.L. Stein and then the Christopher Pike. You know, it was kind of like, you know, everybody had their kind of favorite. Either you were like a Pike person or you were like a, a Stein person. And, um, you know, I mean, everybody read most, you know, both. I read both, but I always preferred Pike. Um, because, you know, yeah, R.L. Stein, you know, killed a bunch of teenagers and killed a bunch of kids and stuff like that. But Pike, I mean, he went there. <laughs> like, Pike's books like drug abuse, sexual abuse, rape, I mean, everything yeah. was in these books. And were, you know, teenagers and stuff. His, his protagonists were usually 17 or 18 years old, you know, usually in high school. Um, so whisper of death, um, we start out very oddly, um, you know, the basic premise is somebody is writing to us and saying they are writing in a dead world and she is alone. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And then proceeds to backtrack and start to tell us how things got to where they are now and she starts it turns out our narrator is her name is roxanne wells or rocks as she likes to be called and she is 18 years old and they live in salem arizona 
and their town is surrounded by desert, essentially. They're a small desert town. And she has a boyfriend named Pepper. Um, it's not his name. That's his nickname. His name is actually Paul Poincel. And he is also 18 years old, but everyone calls him Pepper. And we start the story with how she met Pepper. And it's very, it's very uh, interesting how she starts describing. I mean, uh, so let's start with Rocks and Pepper, at least in the beginning of the book. How, how would you describe? What was your, oh my God. What was your impression <laughs> started reading about Roxanne and Pepper? It instantly reminded uh, me of 10 things I hate about you. When, right. yeah, when, um, oh God, why am I blinking out on their names? They're, they're character names. Uh, but when Kat, Katarina or Cat and was, Heath, uh, Julia Stiles. Yeah. Cat and Heath Ledger's character, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. um, like the first time they meet, she's just like, yeah, uh-huh, whatever. Just really sarcastic and totally off-putting you know but she really has the intention of getting him to go away whereas Roxanne mm -hmm. is just purposefully playing the whole hard to get bit but she's really like well I could use some sex and romance and Pepper seems available and he's good looking so yeah why not but you know she doesn't want to give herself away um so I, it felt very much like that 10 things I hate hate about you like first meeting between cat mm -hmm. and pat Aww. but um yeah but it was really really fun and it seemed like for 18 year olds especially like for this time period in which everything takes place it seemed like you know they're pretty mature for for their age, you know, they have some serious shit that they have to deal with, you know, unplanned preg pregnancy, which we'll get into in, in, in a bit, but it seemed very much like their love for each other was gen genuine. And they, you know, really wanted to be the best person that they could for the other one, you know, at least mostly. In their teenage way. In their teenage way. That's yes. what I'm going to say. Like, they did very much, to me, come across, like, 18-year-olds. Yes. It's <laughs> like, I'm 41, you know? So, like, you know, I reread it. It was the first time I'd read it since, I mean, I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. And so reading it then... And reading it now, you know, I read it and I'm like, wow, they're such teenagers. You I'm know, like, they're such teenagers. They yeah. really did feel like teenagers. And um, and yeah, so the story starts to take, they get very involved. Like, you know, Roxanne kind of makes it out to be like, like fate that they got together. Like, yeah. you know, she was just, they were just like together. Like, as soon as they got together, they were together. It was, like, intense and, you know, very, very serious and stuff. Um, and then, uh, well, Roxanne gets pregnant. Uh, they have unprotected sex. And... Their first time. Uh, the first time they have sex. And uh, she gets pregnant. Which, you know, the timeline on that is weird. Because I was, like, it was, like, two weeks later and, like, she wouldn't, I don't know, but that may have just been Christopher Pike, not knowing how the hell pregnancy works or something. I don't know, but the timeline seemed off that it was like two weeks later oh, it, and she hadn't missed her period, but somehow she 
was pregnant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was. Can you tell your like if you take a P test two weeks after she? Can you she, tell? She took it four four weeks after. I think his oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but she still had to take like an early test, which I don't know like how available those were in the nineties. Cause again, I was an itty bitty thing and they're only, they've only just become more of a thing in like modern times, but normally yeah. like she had to spend a whole 15 bucks y'all 50. I know. 15 bucks I, I was like, dude, test. plan B costs like $50 now at the CBS CBS and and Walgreens and shit and it's just like damn if pro pro tip though if you you can go to Costco and get it for a lot cheaper so if you're you're at Costco and you need a plan B go if anybody's listening we are a pro we are a pro-choice podcast here so you know but somebody's listening happens to need this advice but yeah so Um, it's a good tip four weeks after but normally my understanding is at least a minimum of eight weeks before you like realize like normally women don't realize they're pregnant so yeah so condensed timeline aside she realizes she's pregnant and uh she goes to tell her boyfriend, you know, this is actually, you know, that's the first thing she does. Um, you know, so that's, you know, pretty, pretty responsible. I think, you know, she tells yeah. him about it and she didn't have anybody, else you know, she, huh? she didn't have anybody else to go to. It's true. She does point that yeah. out. She didn't have anybody else to tell. <laughs> so like, yeah, you know, kind of sad, <laughs> yeah. but there it is. So she tells him, and they have a bit of a clash here in that uh, he wants to get rid of the baby and she doesn't really. Um, but because she's worried about losing her boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, she decides she's going to go ahead with it. So they make an appointment in a neighboring town for 530 in the fucking morning, like what the hell (laughs) i mean yeah i think christopher pike just needed a sunrise or something later on but maybe i don't know of any clinics that are open like that early but the way that it was explained at least in roxanne's voice in the book was that well i guess the doctor's got to get the dirty work out of the way first, <laughs> yeah. So you can spend the rest the of the other patients, like, like, damn, that Save is lives. so sad. <laughs> sad. Kill the babies in the morning, and you know, oh my gosh, it just, yeah, you know. And and can we talk about the very weird? Okay, so in this, in this, because this book heavily, heavily, like the abortion is not just kind of a a side thing of this book in case anybody was wondering it's a very central topic so in talking about relationships in this book i mean abortion is going to central heavy our opinion on it you know how they feel about it in the book i mean it kind of is kind of permeating and i found there was this really weird paragraph where (laughs) roxanne talks about pro-choice and Mm. you know whatever and she does this very weird but very teenagery i have to say conclusion where she's like she's like i think they're both wrong 
<laughs> like you shouldn't kill a baby but you should have a choice too yeah like her it was very yeah it was very mealy mouthed but it felt like something a teenager would think yeah. Her whole entire thought process and how she convinces herself, you know what, actually going through the abortion is going to be the better option for us because of blah, 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 blah. Like just the way she went through it, that I was like, dang, that is a teenager's like domino effect of thoughts right there. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. So they have to get together some money. It's like 400 something bucks or something yeah. like that. And they head out. And they go, they stay the night in the town. They stay in a hotel because it's ass early. So they go in the night before and uh, go in for the procedure. And uh, yeah, so they bring her in, uh, start the procedure. And then the doctor's like, starts kind of freaking out a little bit, which is not a good sign. Or he kind of says something like, oh, that's weird. And he like leaves the room. Yeah. While she's there with her legs in the stirrups. And uh, she all of a sudden decides uh, she doesn't want an abortion. After all. And she thinks of this girl who we hear for about for the first time um, at this point. Betty Sue McCormick, who had killed herself a few weeks before uh, by burning herself alive, uh, you know, at a gas station or something. And uh, and she said she's not going to do it. It's a waste of life. I'm not going to do it. So she gets up, uh, basically tells Pepper, like, I'm not doing it. We can discuss it, but I'm not changing my mind. Screw you. I want to drive. We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they leave. They leave and uh, they start driving back to town. Um, yeah. So at this point, this is where it starts to get into the supernatural portion. It's a little um, yeah so they get back to town nobody's there they start freaking out they run back into each other like nothing tv radio etc 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 nothing works and just to kind of save a little time here so we can get talking about the characters they eventually meet um three others who go to school with them who are also in town and seem they five of them seem to be the only ones there so we have Stan Reese, a helter skater, hmm. and Leslie Bell. Okay, I will tell you right now that Christopher Pike and his naming is just, it's a thing. It's a helter thing. Skelter, just, which that is the actual yeah, reference just, in the book. Yeah, and you got, and you, yeah, which is like a reference to like Manson and yeah. stuff like that. So like, yeah, just you know um <laughs> um so yeah christopher pike's naming schemes you know um he has uh he had a character once named poppycorn um yeah his naming schemes are sometimes you know a little funny but there we go um so we have these five characters now um and uh they are in this town and they are trying to figure out what's going on so, okay, so let's talk about the three other characters. How did you feel about Stan, Helter, and Leslie? Dear God, I mean, when those characters were, like, the way they were introduced, at least initially, they felt very much like 
the stereotypes of other high school friends that you would see in a horror movie or a book or things like that. Not to mention there's five of them. And usually five is like that magic number in horror mm-hmm. dealing with teens. horror movie numbers, the five, the, the magic five. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I thought Stan uh, seemed at the beginning, like, a decently cool dude maybe he's like the nerdy one of the group you know so there's that rocks and pepper are the couple helter skater aka helter skelter definitely the scary one of the group and leslie bell she's definitely the um prom queen pretty girl one Mm -hmm. of the uh of their group so as far as the stereotypes go that's you know they pretty much Fallen, rounded out and yeah. you know you're kind of wondering all right well why is it you five because it's not just okay christopher pike is hitting all of these stereotypes or these arch- archetypes you know um there's there's a reason why um and i mean whether you like them or you hate them uh, as soon as you start finding out how they're all connected to betty sue mccormick then you kind of start to hate every single one of them. Like up until like once Leslie Bell comes into to the picture, I liked every single one of them in their own way. Even scary helter skater who shot rocks in the leg on accident. Um, yeah. Like, like why wouldn't you be like, who's there? Why would you shoot and then ask who's there? It seems like the well, because in horror movies, you know, every time you ask who's there, it's just always a bad ending, you know, so just, <laughs> I'm just going to shoot first and then ask questions later, you know, that's <laughs> skater in, in a nutshell. Um, but after this point, once you start going back in time and they all figure out that they're all connected to Betty Sue in some way and you figure out why they're connected, you're like, oh shit, you all are terrible fucking people and you probably do deserve to die. (laughs) So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, okay. So, you know, I mean, who do you, okay, I'm trying to phrase my next, so, so let's, let's talk about it mm-hmm. since she brought it up, because uh, this is a big part of the book, the relationship between Betty Sue and all these characters, um, you know, we can save, you know, kind of rocks for last, but I think the one that becomes most obvious, because it's the one we kind of figure out first, is a Betty Sue and Stan, yeah. Um, because, you know, that's the one where they're like, oh, you were her friend, et cetera, et cetera. And the other, the other relationships don't become apparent until a little later. Right. So, so how did you, what about Betty Sue and Stan's relationship? <laughs> Let's talk about oh, that. Dear. Um, it's really sad. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, if you, yeah. you seem like you have thoughts at the forefront of your mind about that first so i mean he's like her servant yeah like in a way like he talks about how he can't like like she would call him and like he would always have to go even if he didn't want Mm -hmm. to and like he kind of thought of her as his queen you know 
and stuff like that you know and it's just like like man like it's very sad and it's like he he obviously put her on a pedestal and he liked that to some extent but then also didn't like it because every single time there was an issue you know he had yeah it was always weird shit when he went over yeah there. like it was always weird stuff like he kind of intersperses these stories of betty sue yeah and stuff and and you know weird stuff that she does and stuff like that so you know and, and so their relationship is very very so i think and now at this point we can kind of talk about like what happened so they kind of because of stan kind of gets hepped up and he's like i think we should go to betty sue's house and they're all like what the you know like why <laughs> like why she's dead why <laughs> yeah yeah why and they go and they find her diary mm-hmm. and they find these stories and stuff and uh, and then leslie flips out because obviously Leslie is kind of, I think, the next one that kind of gets what's going on. You know, we're in the kind of the perspective of Rox, because remember, she's writing this. So at this point, Rox doesn't really know because she's kind of the least, she's the one that knew is involved the yeah. least with Betty Sue. Um of all of them. So Leslie flips out, she tries to burn the the diary she tries to you know she rips up the stories and all this stuff and everything and uh and all of that so i mean this is when we kind of get to the point where you know just to just just to kind of like streamline it so that we can kind of get to the point they realize that these stories are all about them they're like very thinly veiled little kind of like almost chants uh you know uh like hypnosis kind of you know very weird kind of spell like kind of little stories little like fables and stuff like that about them with their initials and stuff like that and um and so the first one was had to do with leslie and she saw that flipped out they do all this and cut up all the stuff and cut up her stories and burn the thing and leslie and helter decide they're gonna leave they're gonna try to leave town after this you know everybody's kind of like eh, it was weird and all that and they're gonna leave they, they get a car they start filling it up start putting a whole bunch of stuff in the back etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then like the, the progression of the, the book really starts going as to kind of what's going to be like going on and stuff like that for the rest of the book. Um, and that the story that, uh, that Betty Sue wrote was about this girl named Lottie Ball wearing a mask and going to the ball and blowing her candles out. So do you remember what happens to Leslie? Oh yeah, her face catches on fire and the mask fuses to her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And so in, in what happens is when Helter and Leslie are going to leave, um, you know, she's they're filling the truck and they're overfilling it. Okay, first of Mistake all. Mistake number one. And she's, 
Yeah, and she's smoking for some Mistake reason. Mistake number two. Even though there's commentary <laughs> that she's never smoked before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mistake number two. So, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, it turns out that she explodes. Essentially, Leslie goes up in a ball of flame. That's how she dies. And if it has, if it's not clear already, these are stories basically predicting their deaths. The deaths. Yeah. So roundabout way you find out in the book is that Betty Sue is some sort of witch sorcerer. They don't really mm-hmm. say gone something or other, whatever. It, it, Pike leaves it vague, but she apparently has the ability to make things happen by writing about them. And she has trapped them all in this, in this area and wrote these stories to torture them because they did stuff to her. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, so Leslie, so let's, so now that we kind of get the process of the story, because we're going to assume that yeah. people have kind of read it, so they don't need to hear us rehash. Uh, let's talk about the, the Leslie and Betty's relationship. What was their deal? Wasn't it like, okay. How'd you trying to, because I, I finished reading this like a week ago and then I've read two other books since then. Oh no. <laughs> so um it, it was I mean wasn't it like Betty or not or Betty's like the kind of homely quiet shy girl Leslie's the pop popular girl that sort of picks picks on her for ver- various reasons. Well, what yeah. happened was is they were friends when they were kids, mm-hmm. and actually Leslie was ugly. Oh yeah. And Helter even says that he threw rocks at her. Remember? Oh like, yeah, he's a prince of a fucking asshole. Well, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and he threw rocks at her, and they tease her and stuff. But then when she hit fourteen, all of a sudden, yeah, you know, now she's like gorgeous. You know, she gets tits and ass and curves and all this stuff and and stan puts it like she glowed Mm -hmm. like you know he was like he you know stan puts it as it wasn't just normal puberty stuff like it was a it was a transformation Mm -hmm. and the indicator is that betty sue did this because they were friends but then once leslie was popular she wasn't friends with betty anymore so betty was pissed because she thought i did this for leslie and she's not fucking appreciative (laughs) and goes after the guy that she wanted yeah so what better way the other part yeah what better way to get back at your uh ex-best friend than blowing her face off so she's ugly right yeah Yeah, um you know and then helter when we find out raped betty oh yeah total piece of shit (laughs) yeah yeah and then Pepper had sex with her a couple times, but then like didn't call her or anything like Ghostly. that and yep. stuff and everything. And Stan was just kind of like her slave. And Stan posits that he may be there because he would be able to put it together so that they would all know why this was happening. And like, that's why he's mm-hmm. there. And Betty Sue set it up so that he would be able to put it together. Yeah. And be able to tell them so they would know who was doing this and stuff. Yeah. And then rocks, like Betty blames rocks for everything. Yeah. Like taking Pepper away and all that stuff. And she needed, 
and she needed um you know rocks to get pregnant it was kind of like how her spell was was yeah is because she she was like betty kind of in a weird magical way became the embryo but not really but yeah yeah. it was very weird it was very very weird and christopher pikes are some kind of like that sometimes um where you know it gets a little convoluted and he doesn't and he won't like come out and say it's kind of left a little like like vague and stuff and this is kind of it um you know it seemed like rocks need to be there to kind of get the spell going like when she went to get an abortion you know, that kind of put the lid on the jar, so to speak, so that they would all be trapped and stuff. So let's, so let's, I mean, I guess let's talk about, like, in terms of, like, the relationships. I mean, is there any particular topic that you wanted to go? I mean, I just want to, like, focus, on- like, more on Betty's relationship with all of these people, because, I mean, I mean, on one hand, obviously her reaction is pretty freaking extreme. But then on the other one, like these people kind of like did her dirty to the max. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say everybody, but I, th- I think maybe Rox is the only like innocent party to all right. of this. And sort of like how you talked about that Stan kind of needed to be there to explain what was going on. You know, he and Rox are kind of the most expendable people to Betty Sue, but they're, you know, like the necessary casualties to really get back at um, Pepper, Helter, and Leslie, which seems to be the source of her anger just because of the horrifying ways in which which they die. So, right. And they all talk about, so here's an interesting point in talking about relationships and the stuff they did and stuff like that. Like, both Helter and Pepper and Leslie um, all talk about Betty Sue, like, being, like, a maggot. Like, being with her was, like, being with a maggot. And, like, she got in your head. And and both Helter and Pepper claimed that they're, like, when they had sex with her, like, They weren't like themselves, like she almost like forced them to and stuff like that. Now, do you think that's reality? Hell no. Like Helter claimed like the night, like, you know, she might have egged him onto it or whatever. But like, you know, because they're trying to paint Betty Sue as this kind of like witch kind of thing who Mm -hmm. can make stuff happen. But like then the question is, is like, do they still have, you know, was she forcing them to do it and if she was how could she force them to do things they didn't really want to do like like how did how did that work you know when they were talking i mean i i i don't think any any woman of any age wants to be raped personally so i don't you know see or um help helters logic in that going like yeah she told me to rape her what no that's not how that works like yeah she she forced me to yeah yeah it just seems a very odd thing that he put in there like a sort of thing where maybe i put that in there you know maybe so that you know we kind of feel sorry for them like they weren't really responsible for their actions but it's kind of like i don't really think there's any good people here. no and i mean it's very um if we just kind of relate the discourse that is happening in these scenes to 
the discourse that's been happening really in the world over the last like decade, it's very typical, at least for Helter and Pepper to like shift the blame from themselves onto the woman on to Betty. Oh, she must have tricked me. Must have been what 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 she right. wore. It's not it's not my fault. Oh, she she was asking for, it, you know. So in that sense, like I think this novel was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, because keep in mind that we are hearing this from their point yeah. of view through Rock. So you know, this is Rox telling us what they told her, yeah. right? We don't really ever get Betty Sue's side of it, really. We kind of get everybody's perceptions of her, which kind of creates an interesting, like, we only get this character through everybody's stories about mm-hmm. her. You know? So like it, it's like it's like can you take their their accounting of it like credibly yeah. unreliable or narrators not? or narr- narrator in Rox's case right and it right well she's just writing down yeah, what yeah, they yeah. told her and I don't remember if she came down like on one way or the other if she believed yeah. them but you know but but it's still through their telling yeah. of it right you know we get it through Helter and Pepper and Leslie and you know they tell us about their experience but you know as you and I both know sometimes you know those get messed up absolutely yeah especially when you have I mean as much as I will say that I liked Pepper and Rox's relationship in the beginning of the book once you get into the part of the novel that we are talking about right now you start to really see oh my god like Helter and Pepper and even Stan like these are all dudes with big egos, you know? So yeah. of course they're, you know, they, they, they don't want to put the blame on themselves. And of course, Leslie, she has an, an ego too. Um, but it just kind of, it's, it's really sad that, I mean, one, we're hearing a very fab fabricated version of events from these people. Um, but we're hearing it also from a third party perspective, which is rocks. And of course, Betty Sue is dead. So she can't speak for herself. Everyone else is doing the speaking for her. And even in her death, like they're still treating her like crap. They're smearing her name, you know? So when it comes to like these letters and her and her being a witch, you know, it's like, if, if you, and I think I kind of relate to this on, on some level, not that I've ever personally lashed out at people who have like really betrayed me, but it's happened in my life many, many a time. And like the level of rage, anger that I felt when it happened, I felt like, you know, I wish what I'm writing in my journal right now would come true. And I wish these people like would suffer for it you know I'm not a witch I can't cast those spells but it's that metaphorical representation of that anger and I get it so I can't hate Betty Sue when everyone else were jackasses (laughs) right right yeah I mean it's it's very it's very interesting. So, you know, because we don't know 
we have to like make all these kind of assumptions. Yeah. But it's kind of funny because they all seem like, you know, we had relationships in high school, friendships and stuff, and they seem very intense at the yeah. time. And this definitely had the teenage intensity, you know, everything is life or death kind of relationships and stuff like that, you know, like, you know, who cares if the guy you like is going, you know, for us, that's from our adult, adult perspective, you know, yeah. in our 30s and 40s perspective, we're like, who gives a crap if the guy if if you know she's with this guy that you like you know definitely give a shit about the rape and stuff but like you know most of the other stuff you know and then you know getting people in so so there's the question too stan was there and we're kind of sitting here going you know Like, you know, I mean, it may be reading too much into it. You know, Christopher Pike just wrote these things and he may have meant us to take it just everything <laughs> at face value. You know, this is what happened. They're really in this magical spell thing. But when you think about it, you know, Rock's claims in the book, she didn't really know Betty Sue. She had these weird couple random encounters with her, like one random encounter mm-hmm. with her and that was it and all that stuff. But can we believe that? I mean, I could totally believe that, but her, I think Rox's perception of those meetings were probably different because, you know, sometimes you meet somebody for the first time and you think it goes great and you like them. And then maybe they walk away going like, oh my God, this person's such a fucking asshole. And you have no idea why, but maybe it's because of something you said or the way that you said, and just the other person isn't going to tell you for whatever reason. You know, so that's how I kind of mm-hmm. took it. Yeah. You know, and in Stan's story about how his relationship with Betty Sue, can we believe him? You know, because we've been talking about Rox and Stan as, you know, the most innocent ones. Like, it's pretty obvious, like, what Leslie Helter and Pepper did to her. But not so much with Stan and, and, and Rox, mm-hmm. right? So, but can we believe Stan when he claims, you know... You know, I just went and did what she wanted and stuff like that, you know, and we were just friends. And, I think we can. You know, can we believe Yeah, that? I think we can. But I think Stan, and it, this just dawned on me, Stan is just pissed off that Betty Sue friend zoned him. <laughs> you can see my face. Yeah. I'm going, hey, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's true. Maybe he had a thing for yeah. Sue. I mean, he tells rocks at the end that he had a crush on her when he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the way Stan died is weird because we can talk yeah. about that. Like the others, it was all like stuff that happens, right? But like Stan's story is like he goes kills himself, and he just like goes and does it. And like his explanation is, yeah, she told me to. Or whatever. Mm. And so that's, yeah, I mean, that's messed up. And he's the only one that kind of did that, right? Yeah. You know, and like he wanted his body put in his bed, just like the newspaper article, because they, they like find a newspaper article that has them being discovered the next day, all dead in various places yeah. and stuff and whatnot and everything. And like, you know, so. Yeah, maybe maybe that's like his downfall, right? Maybe maybe he was like, 
you know, maybe he was like pushing too hard. Maybe he was just like, like really, really like creepily clean, you know, not just being a friend, but like, you know, like, like, and and it weirded her out, you know? And like, I mean, like those self, self, proclaimed nice guys that just try to do like Mm. wait on a woman hands and foot in the hopes that they actually get to be romantically involved with her and then when it eventually doesn't happen they start getting pissed off that they're doing all of these nice things and but it's like bro you're you have an ulterior motive in doing this right she probably senses that you know and you probably can't tell if you're coming on too strong or whatever but if you're doing this just to get into her pants, like you're not being genuine. <laughs> so you're not right. doing it for her as a person because you actually care about her. You're, right. you're, you're doing it for yourself. So, yeah, I mean, maybe. So it kind of leaves those questions. Yeah. You know, if you sit and think like, can we believe everything these characters are Absolutely. telling us? And if you start questioning that, it adds new layers. And Betty Sue doesn't seem so witchy and weird and cruel and like the whole villain of the whole thing when you start to question if they're telling us the truth like these these kids are telling us the truth or not um you know because we don't know we never get her side of the story right so you know it it leads that question you know and like i said christopher fight may have just intended it to be like yeah she's just this witch sorcerer Whatever that thing, you know, yeah, it's, it's it's not that deep, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe, but when you start trying to turn it around in your head, you know, it, it's very, uh, you know, it, it start you start to ask some questions, yeah. I guess, about what what you know what you think, and you know if they're telling the truth, and if Betty Sue really is that big of a villain and stuff like that you know if you can't believe the whole story at all i mean who knows you know maybe the whole thing was just you know rocks you know dying on the on the gurney Mm -hmm. or something you know and this this thing never happened at all it was just you know hallucinatory i'm about to die kind of stuff who knows you know and she's just putting all this stuff together you know in her head and and whatnot you know you know, and, and stuff like that. But these, but these are the type of things that, that Pike does in his stuff. Like I said, um, he doesn't, you know, there are some where it's pretty cut and dry, but you know, some of them are very existential and just very, you know, vague. And this is one of them. Uh, Yeah. And this is one of the ones that I remember, you know, there are a few that I remember very vividly and this was one of them. Yeah. Um, that I remember um, very, very well. <laughs> you yeah. know, I remember the characters named. I remember the plot and everything like that, you know, and there were some details I missed, but in general, and, and it's a very quick read yeah. and stuff like that. Like, so in terms of, um, you know, the the whole thing, what do you think this kind of like says about relationships i guess you know because the funny part is because this had a because this had a very short cast right there's only like maybe six people who get 
really involved in it. The five teenagers and Betty Sue, you know, you hear about other characters like Pepper's parents and Rox's dad, but you know, they're wherever and you don't they're hear not from them you know, in her, the picture at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, her random friend in, in Florida and, you know, whatever. I mean, you just hear about them, their background noise. But because it's such a short cast, I mean, were there kind of any takeaways? Like what, what you know, about relationships and stuff in this that you can take away? Or? That's a really great question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like high school relationships specifically. And again, I'm like kind of relating my own personal life experiences to this, which to Pike's credit, I thought like he got the voices down for the teens and everything else. And And he usually does. I always felt like, and even reading it again, and even having some of the ones that I have here and reading them again. Yeah. The teenage voice felt real. Like, like you don't have like 40 year olds and teenage bodies, yeah. which can happen sometimes if you get an adult author, you know yeah. what I mean? You know, because, but you, when you read Pike, you definitely feel like you're getting teenage, yeah. you're getting teenager reactions, you're getting teenage hormones, you're getting teenage impulsiveness, you're getting teenage decision making. Yeah. yeah. So with all that, like this is, it's speaks very specifically to teenage relationships. And I mean, it's very common to have, you know, issues with romantic love and friendships and, you know, being friend zoned and like getting involved with somebody then, you know, going like, ah, shit, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then not knowing how to back out of it. So you just like completely ignore the person and you make things even worse. You know, um, it really speaks to that just because these are people who are trying to gain that essential life experience, but they obviously haven't yet and they're dealing with like literally out of this world problems with this whole town and or this empty town and having to navigate that with what little life experience like they have but then if you think think about it too like rocks and pepper are somewhat kind of poised to take it on because you know pepper lives with his aunt and uncle his parents aren't in the picture rocks mom took off when she was 48 hours old her dad is a truck driver and she only sees him like on the weekend so these are this is very much a generation of latchkey kids that have had to raise themselves mm-hmm. and be um more mature for their age but because of their lack of actual experience dealing with this stuff you know that creates a con conflict um and you can even say the same thing for Betty Sue you know I mean definitely letting her emotions get the best of her and creating this world where she kills everybody which is totally understandable but it's like ah murder is very frowned upon in society the last I heard so (laughs) yeah 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 you know and I think that's kind of what I came away with too reading it when I was I'm 40 (laughs) 
you know um you know it was kind of you know my thought was when i finished it is like man yeah you know i forgot how intense teenage relationships can be like that's really what it brought to mind when i read it again like despite the supernatural stuff but just like everybody's interactions and how just like intense they were and somber they were and like and, you know, yeah, it was a serious situation, but it's also very reminiscent of, you know, when you're a teenager and everything is, is intense and yeah. everything is, is life or death and everything is, you know, you know, these big things, you know, and yes, it's part of being a teenager and hormones and et cetera, et cetera, can be blamed. But also our society does that too, in a lot of ways, you know, forcing teenagers to make decisions yeah. about where, what are you going to do with the rest of your life to go to college, you know, and all this yeah. stuff, you know? So, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, it is that way just because of age, but it also is, um, but it also is part of society too. So yeah, me rereading this book for the first time in, you know, 20 years, you know, was definitely like, yeah, man. <laughs> You know, I remember how intense those relationships could be, you know, like you got betrayed. She's wearing the same death dress to prom, you know, and while their problems were a bit more serious, it just started me thinking about that, that he, how even the smallest kind of slights, you know, not, not to speak of, you know, the serious stuff they were dealing with, like teen pregnancy and rape and stuff like that. But it just sort of reminded me how you know, just made me think about how, you know, intense those things were, yeah. you know, and, I, and how cruel teenagers can yeah. be. Period. And I think, again, like to, you know, to go off of your point about how everything is so intense and then tying that back into what I said about like teenagers not having like the experience to deal with this, all this heavy stuff. Like, I think that's also part of the reason why everything is turned up to 11, you know, why everything is so intense because it's like, oh my God, I haven't dealt, dealt with this before. What do I do? What do I say? I don't know what's going on. E- yeah. E- you know, there's this. And then by the time you're 40, you're just like, no eh. fucks given. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm in, I'm in okay. my, my thirties or I, I still give some fucks, but I can't wait for the day until I give less fucks. So you ascend. At Dude. 40. Okay. <laughs> That's what happens yes. to us at 40. We ascend. Nice. And you thought that you gave no fucks. Yeah. Below, there is more bottomlessness to your fucks. Negative fucks. I want to give negative, negative fucks. fucks. <laughs> negative fucks. <laughs> so, you know, would I, I, you know, would you recommend this to teenagers today, even though it was written in the 90s? Uh, like, I mean, that depends on the teenagers. You know, because it's yeah. funny because my parents didn't, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this a lot. My parents didn't uh, censor what I read, which is great yeah. in a lot of ways. But, you know, they didn't know that this that I was reading about, like, abortion and, like, Christopher Pike and other stuff, you know, has these teenage drug dealers and suicide and, and I mean, all sorts yeah. of shit, all sorts of shit. Very, very, you know. So, yeah, I think in this case, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it might depend on the teenager. It yeah. might not. I mean, I mean, I guess it comes down to, you know, your relationship to this book when you're a teenager versus when you're adult. 
And, you know, do you feel like these things should be out in the open? Like, you know, like, I mean, do you do them a favor by like not letting them read stuff like this or not? You know, I'm not proposing an answer here. I'm just saying that that's the questions you have to ask. I mean, I say outright banning some something like this like is no good for anybody of of any age because these are important topics that we need to have as a society and I mean they're already you know they're happening all over Twitter and Facebook all different kinds of social media but the problem sometimes with it happening in that sort of context is stuff gets lost in translation you don't know who you're talking to you can't hear the tone the tone of their voice the timber the cadence you know and it may not feel as as safe as a space to discuss these things rather like let's say you're a college professor and you're teaching uh english 101 or whatever and this book comes up like that is that is a controlled environment in which you can have this discussion and facilitate Mm -hmm. that properly and i'm glad you brought that up because i think one of the things and i don't know if you Mm -hmm. feel this way too but i've seen conversations on twitter very recently like a couple days ago and it's been floating around about content and stuff and how somehow as a society and people who engage with arts we sort of expect the moral lessons in an art to be positive Hmm. you know like we expect everything to always have a good message we expect the heroes to be morally right and stuff like that And, and and we have a problem with like characters who are not good Like if you have a piece of art where none of the characters are good or the moral at the end of it is just, you know, life is Mm -hmm. unfair and stuff like that, you know, and, and just in the mainstream, I'm not talking about like in literature circles where people parse things. I'm talking about mainstream and I, and you know, it's almost like it's, it's, um, and, um, it's like, uh, this is a, you got to engage with art. I guess that's what I'm going to yeah. say. Is if you're going to give a teenager with this book, you've got to be willing to engage yeah. with it because the book is not going to offer the answers, Mm-mm. right? The book is not going to offer the answers in this case in Whisper of Death and so many other stuff that you watch or read or listen to or whatever. We have to be able to sit there and be able to parse it ourselves. We have to be able to sit there and be okay with not being fed the moral yeah. lesson or being fed the thing that we should take from it. We should be okay with sitting there and, and wrestling with yeah. it. Right. And talking about it. And, and I think this book is kind of one of those because it doesn't give no, me answers. It doesn't. Yeah. Right? And all of the characters have problems, yeah. you know, in this and, and there's no, you know, it doesn't end happy. There's, there's no, yeah. there's no heroes in this story. There, you you, right. you could argue that there are some villains, I guess, to varying degrees, but for sure there are no heroes. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to give somebody a book, this book or books like it, you're going to have to make sure that that person either can, you know, do that or you're willing to show them how to do yeah. that, you know? And I think maybe that's something we've gotten away from lately. I don't know if you feel that way too, but I, 
I feel like it is. Yeah, I feel like on one, like you might be turned into different like um, Twitter circles than I am. My Twitter is basically mostly tech and video games and then like a little bit of horror. Um, My Um, I have a lot of literature and writer sort of stuff on my Twitter. So I mean, I. I mean, even with video games, right? I mean, the same goes for any art, you know? I I would say like horror is a very specific case, right? And I think when people are talking a lot about they're always having to be like a good positive message and a hero in it, we're talking about a lot. We're talking about genres other than like horror or maybe even romance Mm -hmm. right like we're talking a lot about like sci-fi and like crime and things and things like that they're fantasy fantasy they're you know you you fight the demons you fight the evil and you persevere and you come out victorious and there's absolutely a place for that and that is needed in our society but we also need the darker side of things where there isn't a happy ending because life doesn't have a happy ending you know we all die we, That's we the all end die. Of it. we don't know how <laughs> we're going to die we could die very unceremoniously and if if i look at you know how hold on i'm gonna try not to get teary-eyed but if i look at how all my grandparents died if i look at how my dad died they all died unceremoniously they all died alone you know and mm-hmm. horror and talking about death, like we have to find a way to maybe not necessarily be okay with that, but accept it. And yeah. exactly. I mean, I think yeah. what I'm really getting at is I feel like there's a disc, like, like it's, it's like art has the artist, right. Yeah. And the artist creates the art. But I think what's happened is we've kind of gotten away or stopped kind of paying attention to as the audience as the other half of that equation yeah. and them also having to do work to engage with the art. They're not just consumers, yeah. right? You know, and I feel like we that's kind of the majority of what people are expect or what we have yeah. or, or people's complaints with art is that they expect just to be fed it. That's not art. Like art, you're supposed to engage yeah, with. It's you know? supposed to make you ask questions. It's supposed to make you like, think. and that's why you get people saying like, "I don't get yeah. it." You know, I don't get this. I don't get that. I didn't like it. You know, and I think some of it may be legit. Mm-hmm. You know, if the writing was confusing or something like that. But I think there is a, a a thing where we do have a lot of people. Thanks for not funding the arts, but where we haven't where we've kind of ignored that part of of like teaching people that like, if you consume art, you also have a responsibility to engage with it as well in some kind of way. I mean, part of the reason why I'm with my husband is because we watch stuff and we talk about it. You know, we're very annoying. We don't do this when we're other people, (laughs) but when we watch stuff, we will pause it and we'll like talk about what's going on. We'll talk about the emotional stuff. And my husband have done this for the 20 years that we've known each other and that's just how we do things and it's just weird that and of course we're watching with somebody else we're not going to blather on obviously but when we're with each other you know I just feel like it's our responsibility to engage with it you know what are they trying to do and it may not be clear cut right it may not be like here's your big message like Aesop's fable or something you know just 
you know, but Christopher Pike. Read it. That's Christopher. Read it. Um, yeah, if you don't know. He has lots of other stuff too. Some of my other favorites are yeah. which acts of um last act, remember me. Yeah. Um yeah, he has a lot yeah. of good ones and just messed up storylines. Yeah. So if you haven't heard of Christopher Pike, go out and check some of it. You can find a lot of his stuff on eBay. Coolest yeah. retro 90s neon covers. Yeah. Um, you, you know, know where I cool. found this book? Whis- Whisper Death? Where? Um, the li- Library of Congress. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's I'm I'm like that's nice. a great resource. You can like check out the ebooks um, an hour at a time uh, or for four, 14 days, and then you can download it onto your computer. You just need uh, the uh, Adobe did digital editions um to mm. be able to do that or cool. you can read it just directly on the website so now i'm like oh what else does the library or congress have on their site so you know <laughs> you don't want to buy it and your local light library do- doesn't have it library which they probably yeah, don't at the this point library of congress uh it's archive.org so check it out sweet <laughs> sweet Awesome. Well, I hope you all enjoyed. And and if you're having Red Whisper of Death, you know, let us know. What did you think yeah. and everything? And and Joanna, lead us out. Oh, my we, God. We so we talking about morals and engaging with art and, and everything, you know, as 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 former Catholics, nothing has been more on our minds than the seven deadly sins. right and what are we doing next time but nothing other than the namesake of our podcast podcast seven the 1995 movie by david fincher no what's in the fucking box come on what's in the box so we are approaching the one year anniversary of our podcast dude like one year already born out of the pandemic we're still in the middle of the fucking pandemic but we're going i haven't seen this movie in several years so i'm excited to watch it again because i feel like every time i watch it i pick up something new see something else yeah for sure for sure this will be very interesting and and um you know one year that's our that's our one year thing we're finally doing the movie on how we named our yes, podcast we so we are sure. gwyneth paltrow's head will finally finally be in the finally box be in the box what's in the box <laughs> what's in <laughs> gwyneth, <laughs> gwyneth paltrow's head but our alb Grady Hendrix was disappointed, but he will not be disappointed. But yeah, so be sure to check that out in two weeks uh, when our episode, when our new episode goes up every Tuesday. Sometimes we're a little late. So if we're ever late on that, we've only only been late Be sure to follow us on Twitter just in case. We are at the box underscore podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. We are also now on Google Podcasts. Um, I set that up all fancy like, yeah. So you can find us on there as well. So until next time, y'all. What's in the box?